0: Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps sometimes you ask someone or you've been asked this question, what do you want for Christmas? Now, in our family, I'm not sure if it's just something that our family does or if it's more general, but in our family, we sometimes joke around with each other and say, well, I would like world peace for Christmas. And the reason it's a joke is because we know that that is an impossible gift to give for any person on this earth. It's too big. It's too hard. It's too out of reach. Peace on earth. And yet, that is exactly what God gave us for Christmas— he gave us a child born to be the Prince of Peace, to rule a kingdom of peace that will grow and grow and expand until it fills the whole earth forever. Now we're reading this in the year 2022, but it was preached almost three millennia ago. And who was Isaiah preaching this to? What was the context? Well, we've been going through a few texts in Isaiah over the last weeks, and we remember the context that's coming up immediately for Isaiah and the people of Judah. We remember those gathering dark clouds that are threatening the mighty Assyrian empire, famed for its powerful army, famed for the way they cruelly torture their enemies. And if you look back in chapter 8, just before where we began reading, you look at verse 7 of chapter 8, the Lord through the prophet says, The Assyrians are going to come in like a flood. They're going to pass over Syria and and northern Israel, and they're going to come right into Judah, and they're going to come up to your neck. In other words, only Jerusalem will be left. Everything else will be under the thumb, the oppression of those cruel Assyrians. Well, that's what's on the horizon, pretty close in the near future. And God's people know that. They can see it. They can see it coming. And what are they doing? Well, we read the last part of chapter 8. What are they doing? They're grasping for straws. God's people, great and small, are turning to the false prophets of the kingdom of darkness for information about the future. They're turning to the mediums, the people that... Uh, supposedly, help you to interact with the spirit world. They're turning to the necromancers, the people that deal with the dead, to give advice to the living. People who fool around with dangerous demonic forces of darkness and death. They're doing in their desperation what Saul did. You remember when Saul saw the writing of the wall, where when he was going to lose everything, he was going to die, he turned away from the Word of God and he went to the witch. At Endor, she was a medium. And that's what's God. People in general, that's what they're doing now. So there's this oppressive fear. There's this hopelessness. Why? Well, because God's people have turned their backs on the Word of God. They have no love for God or His Word. And therefore, they do not know the power of the presence of God of the Spirit of God. They do not know divine love, joy, and peace. And look what Isaiah says to them in chapter 8, verse 20. He says, look, get back to the Bible, to the teaching, and to the testimony. Get back to God. Get back to the Word. But instead, they scrabble around in the darkness. And then chapter 9 begins another great and glorious presentation of gospel grace, because in that horrible, horrible situation comes a message of hope, that the people who walked past tense in darkness have seen a great light. This is prophetic. This is going to happen in the future. There will be light in the darkness. There will be a message of hope and joy in a world full of terrors. And look at verse 3 of our chapter 9. This is a good news of such great import that it will bring a multiplication and an increase of joy. What kind of joy? The joy that you have when you've had a massive, abundant harvest and you're just feasting on Thanksgiving and it lasts for a week. The joy of a great victory over a mighty enemy when the oppressor is destroyed and you have freedom. That's the joy that the gospel puts before God's people. Now, Why? Now, if you look at your Bible, you see chapter 3 talks about that joy, the joy of that light and that salvation. And then look at the next verses. They all begin with the same word. There's going to be this joy and this gladness. Why? Well, look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden. Look at verse 5. For every boot. Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born. So the prophet God, through the prophet, gives three reasons for this great joy. I once had a seminary professor that said when you're looking at the Scriptures and you see the word for, you have to ask, what is for, there, for? It's an important word. It it draws your attention to it. It's an explanation of what has been said already. So let's look at these words for, verse 4. Sorry, that was an unintended pun. For you have broken the yoke of oppression. That's that's one of the reasons there's joy. The, 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 the yoke of oppression has been destroyed, it has been weighing us down, it's gone. The rod of, a, of crushing oppression is snapped as on the day of Midian. Well, what's the day of Midian? Children, do you remember what happened? When the Midianites were overcoming the land or were oppressing the land and God raised up Gideon and a tiny band of, 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 um, of soldiers, a tiny band of people with Gideon, defeated this massive army which was too numerous to count. They didn't stand a chance, humanly speaking. And yet God raised up a savior and he defeated the enemy of God's people against all odds. He defeated worldly power with heaven-blessed weakness. God has done that in the past, and he can do it again in an even greater and most glorious way. So that's a reason for joy. That's the first one. And now verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So this is the promise that it's going to happen Again. God will destroy the enemies of his people. That's another reason to rejoice and to be glad to have joy. And then we come to our text. And here it comes to the the climax of the reason why there is great joy and rejoicing and hope in store for God's people. For to us a child is born. And that doesn't come out of the blue. That's not just some random thing that God is saying through the prophet. He told us right after we fell, after we were expelled from the garden, he said, look, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman is someone who will be born from her. And so now in Isaiah chapter 9 once, once again, God tells us that gospel promise, which he's been preaching to us ever since we fell, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. That is the basis of promised future joy. Remember, Isaiah is preaching to God's people who don't feel a lot of joy right now. There's a lot of terror, a lot of fear And everything's messed up, but there's future joy based on the birth of a child. That's how God is going to solve our problems. That's how God is going to defeat all the forces of darkness by making a little baby get born, by giving us a baby for Christmas. Well, the title of the sermon in the liturgy sheet is God gave us what we wanted for Christmas, and I'm using the word wanted there the way it is in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's the old meaning of the word wanted, that I shall not need. I shall not lack. So God gave us what we needed for Christmas. God gave us what we desperately were lacking. God gave us a baby. Not just any baby. Not an ordinary baby. He was human. In that sense, he was ordinary. But he was not only human. A human child who at the same time is divine because he is called mighty God and everlasting father. And you read the commentaries of the rabbis. And they turn themselves and twist themselves all kinds of ways to try and figure out how can God say something like that about a human being? And we know why. Because he's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, true man and true God. God will give us what we want for Christmas. God gave us the Christ. God put the Christ in Christmas. And as we read the verses of our text, verses 6 and 7, we see that, that Isaiah is preaching hope and future deliverance to the people in his time. But when he sees from a distance, he sees the glory of the coming Christ, he just loses it. He just gets enraptured with the glory, the cosmic glory of God's salvation in Christ. And so he no longer is only speaking in our verses about the coming defeat of Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, the destruction of the Assyrian army by the angel of the Lord, but he sees now in prophetic vision the glory and the victory of the cosmic kingdom of Christ. And in our text, he joins together the whole time from the birth of Christ to the return of Christ to inaugurate the perfection of his kingdom. He's talking about the time in which we live between the first and the second comings of Christ. And he presents to us Jesus as the answer to our problems and to our questions. Jesus as the light in the darkness. Jesus as the hope of the world. Jesus as salvation for sinners. Jesus as the one who brings the victory. Jesus who conquers the powers of darkness and death. Jesus who brings justice and righteousness. Jesus, the son of David, the seed of the woman, the king of kings, the prince of peace. So what do you want for Christmas? What do you need? What do I need for Christmas? There are gathering dark, threatening clouds looming over us. There's turmoil in the world. There's war. There's conflict amongst the nations. There are dark and malevolent forces in our land. We have a government which requires every member of the governing party to be in favor and in support of the murder of little children in the womb. That's the kind of land we live in. A government and a land, a society, which seeks death by abortion, death by government-sponsored suicide, which offers death as a solution When your credit card debt is too high, or when you're feeling down, or when you can't find housing, policy after policy, which threaten and harm our economy, our society, and the family, are being passed into law. And there is conflict in our world. Just look at social media, and you see adults, some of them with advanced degrees and many of them with impressive levels of life experience and wisdom and technical knowledge, and you see them bickering viciously, hating one another, and being hated. There is conflict On social media, there's conflict in the world. There's conflict at work. There is conflict at school. There's conflict even in the church. As the devil's working overtime to bring conflict into the communion of saints with with arguments and and misunderstandings and gossip and, and judging one another rashly and unheard. And there's conflict at home in families, in marriage, and in other relationships. this conflict in our own bodies as disease and and trauma or age cause our bodies to be in conflict with our brains and our minds. Our bodies sometimes don't do what they need to do or what we want them to do, and we have to sometimes fight to even just function in our daily lives or Some of us have to fight to just stay alive. And there's conflict in our minds as we struggle with the the darkness of depression and the demons of addiction. And there is conflict in our hearts as we struggle against the power of sin, our old nature, and the lusts of the flesh. So we're living almost 3,000 years after the time that Isaiah preached this, But we know the struggle against the forces of darkness. We know the oppressive power of the kingdom of darkness. And into our lives, God speaks today the gospel word of abundant joy and complete victory. Because God gave us what we want, what we need For Christmas, a child is born and the angels sing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know who those angels are talking about? They're talking about us. They're talking about the church of God. They're talking about the sons and daughters of God. That Christ was born to give glory to God in the highest, to bring peace on earth to God's family, to God's children. He he came, brother and sister, to bring peace to you. And all of Scripture and all of human history hammers home the lesson that sin brings no peace. Sin Destroys peace. What does the scripture say? There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And that's what we all are by nature. No human act or plan can solve that problem that there is no peace for the wicked. And so God acts and God deals with the problem and God deals with our sin and God changes our nature and our status from wicked to righteous. And then everything changes because as the, the apostle Paul says to the, in his letter to the Romans, chapter five, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other solution. There is no other hope. The human problem began in the heart, and the solution to the human problem must begin in the heart. No amount of money or education or human ingenuity will bring about a better world. There is only one way out. There is only one hope for a broken, hurting world and broken, hurting hearts. That God would sovereignly and graciously establish his kingdom of righteousness and peace. Brother and sister, it begins in the heart. No sense wasting our time trying to save the world when our heart is still full of darkness and turmoil. Christ must rule, Christ must be on the throne. In your heart. That is where it starts. And when Christ is on the throne of our heart. When Christ rules our lives. Then we already taste heaven. And we are at peace. Independently of whatever circumstances are around us. We are at peace. Though the mountains be removed from their place. And cast into the depth of the sea we are at peace. Though all the powers of hell throw themselves against us in all their fury, they shall not prevail against us, for we take refuge in Christ our peace. A strong tower, a strong city with salvation set up as its walls and bulwarks, the scripture says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Did you hear that? There's no qualifier here. The Bible doesn't say, well, God, you'll keep your children in perfect peace if if they've got everything they want. Or if all their dreams and hopes for this world are being fulfilled. Or if they're comfortable and well off and warm, and fed. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, independent of all circumstances, if your mind is stayed on Christ, and you trust in Christ, then God keeps you in perfect peace, no matter what. That perfect peace in Christ is what allowed the martyrs to go calmly and joyfully to their deaths. That perfect peace in Christ is what allowed young girls in the time of the Reformation, where they were about to be buried alive, to go forth with their very best dress on, saying, today I will meet my bridegroom. This perfect peace in Christ is what allows us to rejoice always, to be reasonable about everything, with everyone, to not be anxious about anything. Because the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God gave us his Son. God gave us Christ, the gift that keeps on giving. His government increases. His kingdom advances. And with the increase of his government comes more and more peace in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships, in our children, our grandchildren, the communion of saints, in the gathering in of the elect into the visible church. Sins are confessed, forgiveness is sought and extended Hearts are healed, relationships are restored as ancient enemies sit down together at the Lord's table. What do we want for Christmas? Oh, how we need Christ for Christmas. And God has given us exactly what we want. God has given us Christ. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.